It is a joy to see you on this beautiful Lord's Day morning. And it is a beautiful Lord's Day morning. And may the Lord fill our hearts. This was my prayer this morning that God would just fill us up with praise and joy and thanksgiving that we can express in song and in prayer and just open hearts to the Word of God today. It is amazing to me, and again let me say that when you have a pastor's heart and your flock is abused, if it doesn't trouble you, you're not a good pastor. And if you're not watching out for the welfare of your flock, you're not a good pastor. What is the uh, title of the message? Men, come right ahead and pass out the outlines while I'm talking, if you will, please. What's, what's the title of the message today? What's the title of the message? Can you see it in your bulletin? What's the title of the message? I forgot. <laughs> All right, if, you'll take the, if you take a look at the title of that message, the subject of this message has been in the news in ways that it never has been before historically. Not only that, but... Behind the scenes, unbeknownst to most of God's people, there are things going on publicly in public institutions. In fact, in public schools, without the parents' knowledge or consent or agreement or permission, things are being done with their children. Did you know that if you have a 10-year-old child in the public schools and that child wants to be the the opposite gender of what they were born, the school has to recognize that they are of that opposite gender, put them in a different restroom. This is going on. And medically, the parent cannot stop the state giving your child hormonal treatments to change their gender. That's what's going on now. The president of the United States is totally on board with this. He is totally at odds morally with the churches in America today. And this thing is like a 100-mile-an-hour freight train speeding down the tracks. It's on the way. It's on the way. Academia, the universities, they're in, they're in agreement with this. Hollywood, the entertainment industry, is in agreement with this. And the technology community is in agreement with this. And the corporate world is lining up in agreement with this. I'm not painting a a doomsday picture. This is the way it is. Elections have consequences. The Congress, basically, the whole Democratic Party is in line with this, and many Republicans are. Okay? So I've decided to bring messages on subjects that really are not the kind of messages with which you'll build a crowd and find popularity. I've decided as a preacher that I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do what if every preacher across America did it, it would change the country. But most preachers are afraid of this. I'm I'm being honest with you. If all of our mega, mega church preachers would preach a series of sermons on this for a whole month, number one, they'd lose half their congregation. And number two, the other half would stand for something and things politically would begin to change. Silence is not an option when major foundational biblical truth is being assaulted. So, I've decided to go ahead with this series. 
And it, it's, we, we have got to be educated on the Word of God. I've got a Frontline front magazine. I wish all of you got this magazine. It puts some red blood in you uh, spiritually. This one is on the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. Let me ask you a question. Where do we find the truth about marriage? In science textbooks or in the Bible? Which one, which one has an author that knows more about what is than the others? I want to tell you, these, the, the science professors don't know what God knows, and God reveals what he did when he created things, and you can believe the one that made it. If, if you want the best expert on any product, go to the man who invented it. Then you'll, you'll get a good answer as to what's going on. So that's why I'm doing this. And we need to be people that know the truth, understand the truth, and who are with the truth and teaching the truth everywhere we go. The first page of this outline is a page that deals with with my expanded translation or paraphrase, whichever you want to call it, of Romans 1. And uh, we we have the background of of what goes on in the hearts and minds of men in taking a look. They, we were, we were, we call it Jellystone. We were in Yellowstone with my family this last week. And you can look at what's there and you can see it and you can observe it. And you know there's more to it than just what you see on the surface. How did all of those underground Waters, bubbling, gurgling waters. How did they get there? How did all of those trees get there? How did the crevasses in the rivers get there? How did 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 foot mountains, how did they rise up to where, where, where seabed fossils are on the tops of 8,000 foot, foot mountains? The tops of those mountains were on the bottom of the sea. How in the world did that happen? You can go to China, it's the same way. You can go around the world, you can go to Switzerland, it's the same way. Sea bottom fossils are at the top of eight, ten thousand foot mountains. And then they laugh at us Christians because we believe the Bible. So, we need to understand that that our faith is not anchored and grounded in a lot of religious brouhaha and nonsense and eating too much pizza and having visions and dreams and a loss of, of touch with reality. That's not where it goes. You'll notice at the bottom of the first page there are three issues very clearly addressed in Romans 1. Number one is God himself. Who and what is God? Who and what is God? There is nothing can explain what you see in science, in the scientific world, in geology, in in anatomy and biology. There's nothing you can explain in this complicated world of genetics. Nothing you can explain except God, because there is no rational, logical, human explanation for this stuff. You, You have to guess, you have to theorize. Because there's nothing you have seen, nothing you have observed, nothing you have measured that explains these things adequately, period. Now, whoever your God is, whatever your God is, it's a God of some kind. It is not science that explains how we got here. Science doesn't do that. No, the Bible explains it, but that's theology. 
Evolution doesn't explain it. That's theology too. That's a different kind of theology. It's a satanic theology. Who is God? And if God is really God, does he have a right to his creation? Who has divine rights of ownership to your life? Some God somewhere does. And you have to determine who and what that is going to be. God is uniquely uncreated. Nothing else is such and everything else is the product of his creative activity. Page number two of your notes. Let's move along. Creation and the created order is another issue. We're going to get this to this down in our notes when we come to Psalm 1. What has God done and why has he done it? Everything without exception in all of creation originated in the heart and mind of God and was brought into existence by the word of God. Divine purpose and divine design are the foundation of all existence. And if you don't believe in design, you don't believe in your own body. You have a chemical factory in your body. In fact, you have a, you have a multifaceted chemical factory in your body. Your body does things, if you studied it thoroughly, it, it's, it's miraculous, it's amazing, and there's nothing scientifically that can, can explain how it got there. I was looking at my grandchildren. They didn't have teeth growing out of their feet. Their teeth were in their mouths. They didn't have, they didn't have fingernails growing out of their head and out of their elbows. Everything knows where to go, what to do, how to develop perfectly. How did it get this way? Ask some questions. Think. Think, think, think. So you have this business. You, you, you look creation right in, squarely in the face and you say, No, God, you are not a thinking person. You're living in denial of reality. Reality is everything that's out there is too big and too grandiose to explain by any scientific theories that can be imagined. It's too much. It's too much. It's too big. It's too complicated. Anybody here in the scientific world? Anybody study this stuff? Wow. And then you have man's response to God and his created order. And we have notes then on the power of unbelief and sin. And where that leads, unbelief leads to disorder and dysfunction always. Sin is disorder and dysfunction all the way through. Sin does nothing but destroy everything that it touches. It is powerful but it never takes over a person's life until that person decisively denies truth that he or she knows. And when you do that, then you place yourself under the power of lies and deceptions. And when you do that, you place yourself into the world of disorder and disaster. We have three times God delivered them over. Number one, the power of moral corruption. Number two, the power of degrading passions. Number three, the power of depraved, a morally corrupted mind. The very thought processes become corrupted and you can't think straight, you can't see straight, and your life is a mess. It is a mess emotionally. May I say this? If you know God and you're doing what's right, 
the ultimate result emotionally will be peace. If you are saved and you're resting in the promises of God, there should be a wonderful, settled peace within your heart. You can't be at peace with yourself unless you're at peace with God. That's first. You make peace with God, then, you get, then you're at peace with yourself. Now hear me, hear me, hear me. If your life is full of conflict, it's because you're not at peace with yourself. If you're not at peace with yourself, you're not at peace with God. You're at peace with God, then you're at peace with yourself, and the result is you're at peace with other people. You want peace, you can't do it without God in the picture. And you can only make peace with God through Jesus Christ, his Son. So the gospel has great power in rectifying all of this disorder and disaster. If we are willing, and this is what repentance means, we are willing to settle every issue of life on God's terms. And in doing this, we become a new creation, a supernatural act of God's, God's personal creation in our own lives, in changing them supernaturally by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you have that tremendous transformation. I was going to pass over it. I won't do it. In the middle of the page, you have the, you have the list of people whose lives had been turned from disorder to order, from disaster to peace and joy and fruitfulness. What were these people? Notice in 1 Corinthians 6, they're, they're the unrighteous and fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and effeminate and homosexuals and thieves and covetous and drunkards and revilers and swindlers. God is in the business of saving people whose lives are in a mess. Help me. Yes or no? And if your life is in a mess today, you qualify for this. All right? You, if your life is in a mess, such were some of you. You're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified. And he calls them saints. God takes these kinds of people and he makes saints out of them. God doesn't make saints out of people that are too good to get saved. He makes saints out of people that know they're sinners. And they know they need, they need a supernatural work of God in their lives. Absolutely amazing. Now you'll notice there's only one absolute standard for and definition of morality. It's not everybody has his own idea, everybody has his own truth. That's, that's, that's the latest nonsense that's going around. There's only one absolute standard and definition of reality. Any morality not based on reality is really no morality at all. And reality is what God has created in his created order. The foundation of all morality is God's created order. How do we know? Why, why is adultery wrong? Why is homosexuality wrong? Why are these things wrong? Because they violate God's created order. Why is lying wrong? It violates God's created order. God's created order was based on truth. All of these moral issues are violations of God's created order. What God designed, what God desired, God designed, and God intended. And God's intentions are good. They are not bad. God's intentions don't result in families being torn apart. God's designs don't result in neighborhoods being torn apart. God's design and God's order doesn't result in people being murdered in the streets and businesses closing down because of the level of theft. That's, that's not God's design. That's not his order. The foundation of all morality is God's created order. 
Romans 1.20, and this is out of my paraphrase, because from the time of the creation of the cosmos, God's not seen attributes. His eternal power, his standing is God. They are both being intellectually grasped and clearly seen through that which he has made. They are without excuse, indefensible. Huh. All right, tell me, how many galaxies are there? Help me. How many galaxies are there out there? there are, they, they, the count has gone up to two to three trillion. They, they had it higher than that. They backed off a little bit. They're down to two or three trillion galaxies. A trillion is a thousand billion. Okay? So they, they, they've got, they've got um, two to three trillion galaxies. Every galaxy has, let's say, an average of, and maybe more, ten billion stars. All right. All right, so all of a sudden, and you, th you think of Genesis chapter 1, all right? Are, are, are you awake? Help me now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And darkness covered the surface of the deep. And God said, now listen to this, get this. How many, how many galaxies? Two to three trillion, each having ten billion stars. And God said, let there be light. Can you imagine all of that lighting up at once? Now, is your brain or is your mind awake? Would it not take a wisdom beyond anybody's comprehension? Who is smart enough to know how to do that, let alone powerful enough? You don't only need the power. You've got to have the wisdom to do that. You've got to know how what light is. You've got to know what makes light work. You've got to know about wavelengths. You've got to know about the, the, the light spectrum. You've got light in itself is a scientific study. So you think of the mind of a god, and then the power of a god that can say, "Let there be light." You think about that question. Can you trust him with your life if he knows that much? Can you trust him with your moral standards? Does he know enough about what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong to trust him? Can he be trusted? We know too much. We're too smart. Psalm 19, 1 through 6. God as creator. The heavens, and it's not in your text here. Oh, yes, it is, down, down below. There's a prolific testimony, so let's go on down there. God is creator. The heavens are telling. You'll notice there's a plus there. Continually and energetically relating or recounting. The heavens are energetically, continuously shouting forth the glory of God, the divine perfections of the power and the wisdom of God. And there expands, the vault of heaven is declaring the work of his hands. The writer of Isaiah, Isaiah says, who, who is this that is in charge of your well-being and your welfare? Who is it? It's the one who is enthroned on the vault of the earth. That's our God. That means he's in control and in charge of everything. Who sets the moral standards for the church? Who should set the moral standards for the nation? Who should set the moral standards for the world? 
The God that created it should set those standards. He's the one that should do that. So the heavens are telling the glory of God, their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. There's a perpetual testimony of of God. Day to day pours forth speech, which means gushes forth speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. And then there is a silent and a certain and a powerful testimony. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. When we come to the written revelation of God that we have in the Bible, we have the voice of God in that, but all of this other is silent, and you have to be able to look at it and, and, and draw some conclusions that are sane and sensible and reasonable. I will never forget when we moved to Yucca Valley, that's up 3,500 feet in the desert, And we'd been living in the Los Angeles basin in the smog. And our three-year-old son, Delbert, and the first night we were in Yucca Valley, he looked up in the sky, he says, Mommy, he says, look at all the lights up there. He didn't know there were stars up there. He's like Daly City, the fog, you know, you can't see through it. So, but he was able just to look and to see And if you can't look at the heavens and you can't look, it doesn't matter whether you're looking in the telescope or if you're looking in the microscope. Whatever you see, either way, is awesome beyond the ability of the human mind to grasp and comprehend it. And you have to say to yourself, there's something or somewhere, somewhere out there, someone somewhere out there this is not real but it is real this can't be but it is a silent testimony a certain testimony a powerful testimony a universal testimony verse 4 their line has gone out through all the earth their utterances The utterances means concise speech to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. That's the light giver, a tent for the light giver. And you look and you see the relationship of all of these things that go on. We saw Old Faithful at Jellystone Park this week. Yellowstone. Old Faithful. But Old Faithful is not as faithful as the moon and the sun. The moon is there. It doesn't vary one iota every day. It's, it makes its journey and the, and, and, the, and the planets in their orbit. Unavoidable testimony, verse number five. A bridegroom coming out of his chamber rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens. Its circuit to the other end of them. There is nothing hidden from his, its heat. And Romans 10 says that unbelief is totally inexcusable. Romans 1 says it and Romans 10 says it. I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, which means clearly to the contrary, they have heard. And then he quotes from Psalm 19. Their sound went into all the earth and their their words unto the end of the world. Wow. So mankind is accountable is accountable for the testimony of the Creator, 
the silent testimony of the universe and the world in which you and I live. But you have a revelation of all genuine morality in the word of God. Here the creator speaks. Now, you will notice, go back to page number three, at the bottom of the page, you have Psalm 19 as creator. God is creator. He is the originator. He's the the originator. And then when you get to Psalm 19, verse 7 and following, he is the restorer. He's the one that takes what has been ruined and wrecked. Somebody said in their, their, their food menu, their food menu was, was very creative. Um, if, if you wanted scrambled eggs and you wanted bacon, it was called Adam and Eve on a, rack, on, on a, on a, on a raft and wreck them. You wreck the eggs and scramble them, say, Adam and Eve on a raft and wreck them. Well, we've, we've ruined this creation, at least our part of it. So we have a restorer, we have a redeemer, if you please. And he speaks to us in his word, and he tells us, look, look, this is how it, this is how it works. If you get in, don't try to start your car by tromping on the, on the, on, on the emergency brake. That will not start your car. Don't press the on button on the radio. You won't start your car by pressing the on button on the radio. That's the way some people are trying to live morally. They're trying to invent a new way to get the same results, but you don't get the same results. It doesn't work that way. Take out the manual. Now, I'm from the Ennis family, and the last thing we ever do is to read the, the, the instruction manual. We always try to figure it out before we read the manual. That, that's that's innate within, within, inherent within our family. That's just how we think. My son Delbert's that way. My son David's that way. I'm that way. I always want to figure it out before. And then finally, after I've spent hours messing it up, I go to the owner's manual And the guy that designed it and engineered it, he tells me, this is how you fix it and make it work. Now, as a Christian, how many times have you done that in your life? We are so smart and so wise. We're going to figure our way through things. We're 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 going to solve our problems our way. We're going to live our life our way. We are so smart and so wise until we mess it up so badly. We have to find somebody that will tell us how to get out of this mess. And the only one that can fix the mess is the one that made us and knows how it all works. That's why we go to the Bible. That's why we go to the Bible. So we have this wonderful revelation of all genuine, genuine morality, on page four now, and you note, the revelation of all genuine morality is the word of God. And it is, the, it is from the creator. It's, 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 it's the owner's manual, because God owns us. It's the operator's manual. It's, it's the one who designed and, and did all of the design work of this thing. We've got a couple of architects in our, in our, our congregation. If you want to know why they have this and that in the building, just ask them. They'll say, well, this is for this reason, that's for that reason. If you don't do this, the building falls down. If you don't do that, it's not safe. If you don't do that, you have other problems. They know the, the architect seeks to, seeks to anticipate all of the problems and design the building to eliminate those problems. Now, God has done that with your life. If you look at the owner's manual, you will save yourself a lot of grief. I better hear a better one than that. 
Yeah. You will save yourself a lot of grief. Now notice. Let's go through this. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, the law, and notice over in the parentheses, what is the law of the Lord? It's the revelation of what is. Reality. It's the revelation of reality. And God's revelation of what really is is perfect. And what does it do? It restores the soul. The testimony, what is this? It's the witness to reality. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Hear me, hear me, hear me. My father had a 10th grade education. But he was wiser than a Ph.D. in psychology. He was a simple man, but he was a wise man because he knew God's word. He had it figured out. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord. What are the precepts? The governing precepts. Somebody said socialism isn't going to work in America because most Americans will not have governmental authority. They're against all authority. And if the government tries to bring authority over the American public, they're going to have trouble because of the rebellious spirit of the American people. That's an interesting observation. I don't want to comment on it. I haven't had time to think about it, but I know a lot of Christians are like that. They've got their minds made up, you know. They're like concrete. You know what concrete is? It's all mixed up and well set. So the governing principles of the Lord, of the Lord are right. And they bring rejoicing to the heart. When you do right, you're not left with a guilty conscience in a life that's in a mess. The commandment of the Lord is pure. That is the declaration of necessity. Those are the commandments, the musts. One of the things that was difficult with me with children, my little children wanted to reach up and and touch the top of an electric stove when it was hot. And you tell them no, and they try it again. You tell them no. I mean, there are musts in life. And you'll either learn the hard way or you won't. One or two times I told my wife, you let, the, you let him do it now because you're going to be here to save and rescue him. And if he does it when you're not here, you're going to be in trouble. So let it go. And some of you as believers are in a place to me. You're making moral decisions in your life. And you're going to touch that hot stove and you won't listen to anybody else. And what's going to happen to you is you are going to get burned. The commandment of the Lord is pure. The declaration of necessity. You must not... Touch a hot stove. Somebody said, Blessed is he that sitteth on a hot stove, for he shall surely rise again. (laughs) Blessed is he that sitteth on a sharp tack, for he is better off. (laughs) Anyway. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. This is respect and awe for God. Is clean and there is an enduring factor that can't be matched in any other way of living. Judgments of the Lord, those are the decisions and pronouncements of the Lord are true. God does not lie to us. He doesn't lie to his children. They're righteous altogether. Then you just find the word in the two words in, in verse 10, desirable and sweeter. God's revelation of morality is desirable and it is sweeter. Number 11, it's a source of warning and great reward. May I say this? Will you look this way for a moment? 
I have not lived a perfect life. I have confessed so many sins so many times. But I have sought in my life. I have sought in my life not to engage in those kinds of behavior that destroy life. I'm 81 years old, and I want to recommend that to all of you. There's great reward. And I want to, the one, the one thing with which God has blessed me, I have very few regrets in my life. I've not lived a perfect life. But I want to tell you, if you walk, if you live your life God's way, there's great reward. Reward always comes later. It always comes later. There is a revelation of hidden errors and faults in your life from the truth of God's word. And the matter of presumptuous sins, we presume some things to be, be true. And then he says, I will be blameless. So the foundation of all morality is God's created order. The revelation of all genuine morality is the word of God, the word of the creator. Notice in verse, the result of this in verse 5. I'm sorry, on page 5 of your notes. Then I shall be acquitted of great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If I could challenge you with any thought today, it would be this. Determine that in your life you are going to be on God's side of every moral issue without fail. I'm going to be on God's side concerning every moral issue in my life without fail, period. That's the kind of a life that's talked about in Psalm 19. If you've not made that decision, I encourage you to make that decision today. Strange how a teenager thinks. I remember as a teenager, and I went to four-year high school, so I went grades 9 through 12. We didn't have junior high where I was, had eight grades in a one-room country schoolhouse, and had four grades in high school. When I got to high school, I was the only Christian anybody knew anything about in the freshman class. And they knew and found out very quickly I was a Christian. And I didn't do any stupid things in advertising it. But I let them know, I let them know I was a Christian. I wrote my paper in one of my English classes on why everybody ought to read the Bible. Boy, that, that made me popular. I won the popularity contest on that one. And one or two other times I did things like that. And I noticed by the time I was graduated from college, three of my high school classmates were dead. Most of it was from alcohol, getting drunk, driving. One ran into a telephone pole. 
Just various uh, two other things that happened to a couple other guys. But I made a decision before I graduated from high school, and I looked at all of they, they if, 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 if a girl got in trouble morally with a boy, she was called a slut. Everybody knew who she was. It was a disgrace for a girl to have sexual relationships with a boy outside of marriage, even among unsaved people. But they had their way, they had the drinking parties, they had all the stuff going that teens like to do and, and think are so popular and so wonderful, and I made a decision. I share it with you today, and I want every one of you to share it with me. I decided that if the whole world decided it was going to go to hell, I was not going to go with it. Hear me, Christian. If the whole world wants to go to hell, I'm not going with it. I'm going to heaven. I am a Christian. I serve a great God. His word is true. He's the God of creation. Everything originates with him. Everything continues through him. Everything is consummated in him. He's a great God. Whether it's in the business world, if the whole business world goes to hell, I'm not going with it. If my family goes to hell, I'm not going with them. If my schoolmates go to hell, I'm not going with them. If my neighbors go to hell, I'm not going with them. I know who I am. I know where I am going. I am journeying on to a heavenly city where the God who created this universe reigns supreme. He will recreate the whole thing. And I choose to be a part of his kingdom forever. That's the way I choose to live. Let's give our hearts and our lives to God completely. Unreservedly. Not because the church says we have to and somebody's going to put us on a blacklist. And Listen, listen, listen. We need to have a moral compass inside of us that is tightly, tightly pointed at, governed by the word of God. The creator who made us. We need to trust that God is wise And that there should be no point at which we would superimpose our wisdom above God's wisdom in our life. Whether it's in the way of what God wants us to do, His will for our lives, whether it be moral choices that we make. We need to have a moral compass that points straight toward God and the glory of God. And when that happens, when that happens, there is a life that ends up in a state of glory, rewarded by its creator.